If you have your Bibles with you, I invite you to turn with me to the book of Galatians. As we enter back into our study of this letter of Paul, we're beginning chapter 2 this morning. Our text will be the first six verses. If you'd please stand with me for the reading of God's Word. Galatians chapter 2, verses 1 through 6. Hear now the word of the Lord that is authoritative, infallible, and sufficient. Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along with me. I went up because of a revelation and set before them, though privately, before those who seemed influential, the gospel that I proclaim among the Gentiles, in order to make sure I was not running or had not run in vain. But even Titus, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised, though he was a Greek. Yet, because of false brothers secretly brought in, who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus, so that they might bring us into slavery. To them we did not yield in submission even for a moment, so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. And from those who seem to be influential, what they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. Those, I say, who seemed influential added nothing to me. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we ask that You would pour out Your blessing upon Your Word in our presence, that You would instruct us in truth and righteousness, and that we might grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is in His name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. You may have been aware that there was a bit of a controversy in the last few weeks. One of the networks, to be honest with you, I can't even recall which, came out with a mini-series called The Path to 9-11, or The Road to 9-11, or something like that. And it was all over the news because especially members of the Clinton administration strongly objected to it. Well, I didn't see the series, so I can't tell you the merits of whether it was done well or done badly, but it reminds us of something that I think we know full well. We became aware of the danger to our well-being and our freedom and our liberty because of the attacks on 9-11. It woke America up after a sort, didn't it? But if we think about it, we would be foolish to say, well, there was absolutely no threat to our freedom on 9-10. Right? It's not like all of a sudden, a bunch of enemies sprang out of their father's heads like some mythical beast and attacked us. No, there was a, a slow preparation and chipping away and threat to our freedom before that imminent day. I think we can understand that. Think about it logically and it makes sense. It's one of the reasons that even before 9-11, we had an armed forces. We were prepared because we knew there were enemies out to attack us. 
the challenge to us as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ is to heed the trumpet call of Paul this morning. Because Paul says, there are dangers to our freedom in Christ. And those dangers don't pop up full sprung when we notice a direct attack on our liberty. There are enemies of our souls. Satan and his minions, false teachers who seek to destroy the freedom that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. And they have been preparing it and continue to prepare this attack on our liberty. And Paul tells us that we must be vigilant. We must be ready to know the worth of our freedom and be ready to defend our freedom against dangers. And the freedom that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ is so much more valuable than the mere liberty that we have in America. And so what Paul is going to tell the Galatians in our text this morning, and you and me, is that we need to be concerned for our freedom. The first thing he's going to do is describe this gospel freedom to us. What it means to be truly free. In a sense, he's going to describe in greater detail what Jesus said when he said, The truth will set you free. If the Son shall set you free, you shall be free indeed. But then secondly, Paul's going to warn us. He says there are dangers to this freedom, and you need to be aware of them. They come from without and from within. And then finally, he says the reason we're even talking about this is because our freedom is critically important. He talks about the importance of our freedom. So, we'll look at our gospel freedom, the dangers to that gospel freedom, and then the importance of that freedom to us. May the Lord bless His Word to us this morning. What does it mean to be free? Paul talks about freedom in Christ Jesus. He says in verse 4, he says there's this freedom that we have in Christ Jesus. He's going to mention it again at the end of chapter 4. And again, he will say at the beginning of chapter 5, for freedom Christ has set us free. What does it mean to have gospel freedom? Well, the first thing that we could think about is something set up by what we've been looking at for past weeks. And that is that freedom in the gospel is freedom from self. That's something that we need to be reminded of because it's not usually what we think of freedom, is it? We think of freedom as our ability not to be constrained by anyone and to do whatever we want when we want it. We want to drive, we go and drive. We want to move to a different city, we move to a different city. But that's not gospel freedom. You see, gospel freedom begins with freedom from self. You see, what Paul's been talking about up to this point is his freedom from his self, himself, and serving the Lord Jesus Christ. You remember what he talked about in his narrative we looked at a few weeks ago? He talked about giving up his former life. He said, you remember who I was? I was zealous. I was beyond all my contemporaries. I was a rising star in Judaism. And he says, I gave that all up because the Lord Jesus Christ set me free. Because He set me free, I gave up what I had. And 
Ironically, this freedom in Christ that Paul has causes him to be a servant. You remember what he said in verse 1 of chapter 1, that he is an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father. In this freedom, he is one who has been sent by Jesus Christ. And he says it even more explicitly in verse 10. He says, For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be the servant of Christ. Now it's ironic here, isn't it? Paul's talking about his freedom, and it's his freedom to be a slave. And in this very section that we're talking about, Paul is acting out this freedom to serve. He goes up to Jerusalem. It says, After 14 years I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along with me. Paul is going there on a mission of service, of ministry. He's going to help relieve a famine that's going on in Jerusalem. The parallel passage to what's going on here is in Acts chapter 11. The believers in Antioch find out that there's a sore famine in Jerusalem and they take up a collection and they send two out of their members, Barnabas and Paul, to go bring famine relief to Jerusalem. And so Paul goes with Barnabas to serve. It's not something that He chose, particularly. It certainly wouldn't be the focus of his ministry, as we looked at a few weeks ago. He's basically going to be a postman to deliver the check to people in need. And so he goes with Barnabas on this service to the Lord Jesus Christ to Jerusalem. And he takes the opportunity in the midst of this to go up and to meet again James, John, and Peter. You recall that earlier he went up and visited with Peter and James and stayed with them a very short time, but a few days, 15 days, basically on a get acquainted basis. Now he's using this opportunity for service to go and to be with the apostles, Peter, James, and John, and to share with them what his ministry is in Antioch. His ministry is the gospel, and he's sharing with them what he's been doing, seeing that they're all on the same page. And so he gives up himself and goes to Jerusalem. But the freedom that we have in Jesus Christ is not just a freedom to serve, a freedom from self. It's also, perhaps foremost, a freedom from works. Now, this is what sets Christianity apart from every religion that has ever existed or that will ever exist. Christianity is not primarily about what we do. Now, there is a lot in the Scriptures about doing. But faith in Jesus Christ never begins with doing. It begins with believing. Every other religion, Confucianism, Buddhism, Islam, pagan religions, Worship of animals and spirits. They all revolve around what we do to please some hostile deity. We either offer up sacrifices of ourselves, 
or we do certain good works in order to earn favor. But not so liberty that we have in Jesus Christ. And Paul gives the Galatians an illustration. You know, one of the things that you really need to work on as you're learning to preach is you need to be able to have the ability to come up with illustrations. Derek Thomas, who some of you may have heard this weekend at the Sproul Conference, calls illustrations windows in to the house of the sermon. They let in light. And so Paul, rather than giving a dissertation to the Galatians, he gives them an illustration of what it means to be free from works. He says, I went up to Jerusalem with Barnabas, and you know who I took with me? I took with me Titus. Now this is significant. Here he is, Paul, formerly Saul, formerly chief honcho Pharisee, keeper of the law, going into the center of Phariseeism, the center of Judaism, the center of the Jewish church. And who does he take with him? A Greek. A Gentile. Well, no, they wouldn't have called him in Jerusalem a Greek or a Gentile. They would have called him a dog. They would have thought he was just a shade above animals. He wasn't, of course, one of God's people. He wasn't circumcised. He didn't keep the Passover. He didn't follow the dietary laws. Titus would have been not welcome in any good Jewish home. And he comes up as a minister from the church in Antioch, a position of authority. And here comes this Greek, this dog, who's not circumcised into the middle of the center of Judaism. And Paul did this on purpose. Because he says, after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, and he says, I took along Titus. He doesn't say, we took Titus. He doesn't say, Titus happened to be with me. So, why don't you come along? You'll enjoy the company. No. He says, I took Titus along with me. Purposefully. Now, he knew Titus wasn't circumcised. He knew Titus wouldn't be accepted in polite Jewish company. He knew that Titus would not be popular among the Judaizers. So why does he take him? He takes him as a test case. He takes him as a walking, breathing, living embodiment of the gospel that he preaches. You see, Paul does better than walk the walk of the talk that he talks. He brings along an example. Better than any illustrative story he could give, he says, look, here's Titus. And it would be obvious that he was not a Jew. And so, Paul takes Titus, and providentially, by wonderful providence, it's this same time of this famine relief visit that Paul comes to, in a sense take his ordination exams. He goes up before the pillars. James, Peter, and John. The most respected apostles that there were. And he says, listen, brothers, this is the gospel I preach, the gospel of grace. By the way, here's Titus, and he's not circumcised. It's a picture of saying, 
Listen, apostles, you preach the same gospel that I do, don't you? The, the picture that we get from the text is that he laid open what he taught. He put it up before them for communication, consultation. He wants to be affirmed. He wants to know that they're on the same page, not because he doesn't have authority. Paul's been telling us about his authority earlier, but because he wants to know that the church is not divided on this issue. Because he doesn't want to run in vain. Have you ever had a project that you've worked on and someone comes along and wrecks it and you feel like it was a waste of your time? Kids, you may have this. You're building something. And what happens? A younger sibling comes along and decides it would be oh so much fun to kick it. And you feel like you've just wasted everything you've done. Paul doesn't want to have that feeling. He doesn't want to think that others are going to come from Jerusalem and kick the building of the gospel that he's building in Antioch. And so he brings Titus. And he brings them to Peter, James, and John. For we know that from verse 9. Those are the ones who seem to be pillars. They seemed influential. They were men of repute. Now, there's no sarcasm here in the way Paul's talking. It's not like he's saying, well, they were, they, some people think they're influential, but I don't. No. He's saying, these are the men of repute here in Jerusalem. I'm going right to the top to show that my gospel is their gospel, is the gospel. And so he takes Titus. But you see, the issue here isn't just about circumcision. For if it were, we would have nothing to learn from this text. Because, to be honest with you, circumcision really isn't an issue today. Perhaps one of the most difficult things about circumcision, those of you that have had children who are male, who have little boys, know that it can sometimes be difficult in the hospital or before you go to decide whether you're going to circumcise the boy. Because there's a sense in which it's... No big deal. You probably do it or don't do it based on whether the father is circumcised or whether the grandfather is circumcised. There's no great significance. It's not like in Paul's day. But you see, we face the exact same problem in our churches in just a different way. It's a different setting. And we face the exact same problem, beloved, in Reformed churches. This is not an Arminian problem, solely. This is not a charismatic problem, solely. This is squarely a problem today in the PCA. There is a study committee commissioned by our General Assembly to study the teaching of men to find out if they are teaching what was being taught in Galatia. And it's a problem of second-class Christians. Well, I guess if you believe in Jesus, you're a Christian. But if you were really a Christian, you would fill in the blank. It might not be circumcision. It might be memorize your catechism. It might be have been baptized as an infant. It might be read certain authors. It might be perform certain actions. And the thought is that, well, really there's more to faith 
than just believing in Jesus. That happens in our day. And it often happens, as we've said several times now, with very good things. Homeschooling is a good thing. It is not the gospel. You don't need to be a homeschooler to be a member of a church. Reading your Bible every day is a wonderful thing, and I encourage you to do it. But when you come to the session, the question is not, do you read your Bible every day? And if you don't, you're shown the door. Baptizing your children is a thing that is good. And I believe warranted by the Scriptures. But it is not the equivalent of the Gospel. You see, we have a temptation to always try and add. And we're smart. What child comes up to their parents and says, Dad, you know, I'm pretty lazy and I've been goofing off all morning. And oh, by the way, that new briefcase you had, I kind of marked it up with a marker. And, you know, I haven't really fed the dog. But what I'd really like to do is borrow $10 so I can go out to the store and buy stuff with my friends. What we say is, Dad, I've mowed the lawn and raked. I've cleaned my room, and I've been good to mom. Oh, and by the way, could I borrow $10? We try and set up things that are good, and that's what we do. We try and add to the gospel, oftentimes, with things that are good, not things that are bad. And this issue was primed to Paul, because you notice what he says. The grammar here is actually interesting in verse 2. He says, he went up. He's talking about in the past. He says, I went up because of a revelation and I set before them, that is, Peter, James, and John, I set before them the gospel. Now, do you notice what he says at the rest of that verse? He says, I set before them the gospel that I proclaim, that I am preaching. I set before them the gospel that not only did I preach to you, Galatians, I'm preaching it right now everywhere I go. Paul hasn't changed his gospel. It's current for him. It's fresh for him. This is freedom from works. And the gospel is also about freedom from sin. Because the issue that's involved here is not about who's better Do you notice that Paul never deals with the Judaizers that way? He doesn't say, I'm smarter. He doesn't say, I've memorized more Bible. He doesn't say all of the things that he has done. He says, it's not about whether they're better or I'm better, or they're better teachers or I'm a better teacher. It's about our Gospels. They may be smarter than me, but I have the true Gospel. Because it's not mine, it was revealed to me. The issue here for Paul is about... Man being right with God. That's why if you flip the page and turn to the end of chapter 4, he describes this analogy, this metaphor of Hagar and Sarah. And he says, verse 26, the Jerusalem above is free. And he says in verse 5, for freedom Christ has made us free. And what is this freedom in Christ that Paul talks about in verse 4? 
Well, it is the freedom that we have in Christ. Go down to verse 5. The truth of the gospel. It is the grace of Christ. The freedom that we have is the gospel. It's being recipients of the grace of Jesus Christ. It's being freed from sin. And this is perfectly consistent with service to God. After all, Paul's hammering this issue in the context of telling you what a servant he is. He does much the same thing in Romans chapter 6. I'd invite you this afternoon to read through Romans 6, especially verses 18 through 22. He says we've been freed to serve. We're freed from sin that we might be the servants of righteousness. Now, why does Paul and why do I go on and on at length here about the freedom that we have in the Gospel? It's because there are dangers to the freedom. Paul is telling the Galatians. You remember the opening credits to the 80's television show, Hill Street Blues, where the sergeant always said, let's be careful out there. That's what Paul's saying here. You need to be careful because there's danger to your freedom. We know that as Americans. We know that we can't disband our armed forces and just count on everyone to play nice. There are people out there who hate us and hate what we stand for and want to kill us. So it is with our spiritual enemies. There are those who hate the liberty that we have in Christ. Because they are in bondage and they desire us to be in bondage as well. And this opposition takes two forms. First, it does come from the outside. Look at verse 4. He talks about his test case, Titus, and he says, Yet because of false brothers secretly brought in, who slipped in to spy out the freedom that we have in Christ Jesus, so that they might bring us into slavery. He says there's a danger to the freedom, and the first danger is from without. It's from these false brothers. And notice what they do in opposing the gospel. (coughs) The first thing they do is they attempt to place authority over the truth of the gospel. Now, I would encourage you this afternoon to read through what we've been doing in Galatians. But you should already be getting the theme. Have you noticed that Paul keeps talking about the truth of the gospel, the truth in Christ Jesus, the gospel that he received from God, and that the Judaizers keep talking about the men of reputation, the authority that they have, the authority from Jerusalem. You see, they're trying to set up an authority over against the gospel. But you see, there's great irony here because Paul's gospel is the same gospel that was taught in Jerusalem. Paul tells us as much when he says that he set this before Peter, James, and John because he didn't want to be running in vain. And they didn't have anything to add to it, he says in verse 6. They said basically, you're dead on, Paul. We agree completely. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 15, that great passage where he describes the gospel. And he says in verse 11, after talking about Peter and James, he says, 
Well, whether it was I who preached or whether it was they who preached, you heard the same thing. It's one gospel. But you see, these opponents, they come to spy out the liberty that we have in Christ Jesus. And not only are they trying to set up an authority opposing the gospel, their tactics show that they don't believe the gospel. Look what they do. They come secretly. They slip in. They spy out. This is something we might expect in an espionage novel. They're trying as much as they can to hold their cards close to the vest. They don't have the ministry of Paul. You remember what Paul said when he talked about his ministry, that he shared not only his truth, but his life. Not so these men. These are real spies. This is not James Bond. You know, James Bond, whenever he comes in, the first thing he does, he meets the villain and he says, Hi, I'm Bond, James Bond. And you think, Come on, say your name's John Smith. Now everybody knows who you are. And then the villain begins to plot how he's going to kill James Bond. No, these are real spies. They're holding their cards close to the vest. They're trying to spy out what's going on. They pretend that they've come with a mandate from James and Peter. That's what they do. Acts 15 tells us as much. When this problem crops back up again... 15 verse 1 tells us that some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? The interesting thing is, later on in verse 24, we hear this from the leaders of the church, from James. Since we've heard that some persons have gone out from us and troubled you with words, unsetting your minds although we gave them no instructions. You see, they talk a good game. This is what James believes. This is what Peter believes. This is what all the best Christians in Jerusalem believe. And they're lying. Because they don't have the gospel at the center of their ministry. But it's not just their tactics that belie this. Their motives belie this. They're coming desiring to bring the Galatians into bondage. Paul says as much. He says they come spying out the freedom, not so that they can get freedom. In this way, they're not like spies. They're not like those spies who came into America in the 50s to try and find out how we made the atomic bomb so that they could make their own. No, they don't want freedom in Christ. They want to bring the Galatians under bondage. And so that happens to in our day, doesn't it? There are those who spy out the freedom that we have in the gospel to bring us into bondage. I'll give you one example to think about. Be careful. Anytime someone tells you that you need to believe something that they can't point out to you from the Bible because they say, well, You just have to be consistent. This is like one of these men on the streets of New York with the three-card Monty. They're hiding the ball on you. They don't want you to know what's going on. They don't want to show you where in the Scriptures. 
Now, that doesn't mean that everything that's biblical is easy to find. You don't pick up the Bible and find the verse that says, and John and Mary baptized their two-week-old infant. No. You need to dig. You don't start in the New Testament. You start in Genesis. And you look at Genesis 15 and Genesis 17. And you move your way through. But you're in the Scriptures. When someone comes to you and says, well, you have to do X, why? Well, because it's really just consistent. They're hiding the ball on you. This is what's happening today. Well, really what we ought to be doing is giving communion to our infants the minute they can possibly have food. Why? Because it's consistent. I thought the Bible says examine yourself. Well, no, you need to be consistent. The Bible must mean something else. We baptize infants, we must use the other sacrament with infants. Consistency is not the hallmark of a Christian. Biblicity is what the Scriptures say. But this opposition doesn't just come from without. That would be too easy, wouldn't it? We could easily say, okay, Fred, we're with you. Freedom in Christ. We believe it. Faith in Jesus Christ. We're not adding anything. We're not teaching other people to add anything. We won't listen to these other people. Opposition also comes from within. From ourselves. Because at times, we're tempted to compromise the gospel in our own hearts because it makes us more comfortable, because it will make us popular with others, because we think it will make ministry easier. We compromise it. And you see, Paul will have none of that. He uses very strong language. The the Greek is such that the commentators will roll on for pages that I just sort of flip through because... It's very pedantic about how the Greek grammar here is bad grammar. They even have a fancy word for an anakaluthon, which basically means Paul's interrupting himself. You've done that, right? You're talking to somebody. Oh, wait a minute. Let me. Paul's, he's so gripped with this gospel and so gripped with the battle that's going on here that he interrupts himself. He says, you know, let me tell you here about these false brethren. He says, you know, wait a minute here. We didn't yield to them for a moment. This is the same Paul that says, I will be all things to all men. Paul, you're being a little bit inconsistent here. You're waffling. Come down and take a stand. Don't be a politician. No. Paul says, if it's a matter of whether I eat fish or steak, who cares? If it's a matter of where I buy my meat, who cares? But if it's about the gospel, don't cross me. Because lives are at stake. And souls are at stake. And he says, I don't want to give in for even a moment because I know where that path leads. It leads me back to despair. You think about that just... Have any of you ever dieted? You know you need to lose weight. Doctor tells you. You're like me, your wife tells you. You even have friends call you up and tell you. And you think, you know, this makes sense. I need to lose weight. And you've got all of the things lined up in your mind and you know exactly what you need to do. You may even have a chart and you're all set and you're uh, 
in the kitchen and somebody leaves a donut on the counter. Now, it's hard to run through blood sugar levels and dieting books and doctor's reports when you're looking at the donut, isn't it? You're tempted to grab it and worry about it later. That's the way it could be with the gospel. You know, because a donut is good. It tastes good. Go back to our analogy. Baptism is good. Circumcision is good. But not in the context of what the gospel is. It might taste good on the lips, right? What's the little cute refrain? A moment on the lips, a lifetime on the hips, right? That's what it's like with the gospel. The minute you start down that slide, it's difficult to stop yourself. And so Paul says, don't give in for even a minute. Don't have any problems. Because the attacks come not just from without, but from within. Our own temptation. Well, he's talked about what this freedom is in Jesus Christ. And he's given us an alert. He sounded the trumpet. Watch out from outside. There are false brethren out there. People who claim to be Christians. Who want to bring you into bondage. And you have to worry about yourself too. You have to stay focused upon the Lord Jesus Christ because we give in to temptation. Now, why is it so important to be worried about this? Do we really need to focus on freedom in Christ? Isn't that so basic? And the answer is yes, it's basic. And that's why we need to focus on it because it's important. Very briefly, the importance of this freedom is that it shows our true need. We can't look for our own comfort or our own importance if we're focused upon the freedom that we have in Christ. It's not the authority that matters. It's not what we do that matters. It's Jesus Christ that matters. And if we think about Others who have fallen prey to this. And we have our own temptations. We focus upon our need to be free from sin. That sin is a life of bondage. There are no fiefdoms. There are no little kingdoms here in the gospel world. Paul gives us a picture of that. He says, I've got the gospel in Antioch. Peter and James have got the gospel in Jerusalem. And we're not in competition. We love the way that we work together and we're supporting each other to the best of our abilities. That's how important the gospel is. You men know how difficult it is to work when that's not the case. If you're in the corporate world, right? Everybody's got their own little kingdom and division. And don't cross them. Don't take a pencil that's meant for operations if you're in sales. Because those are operations pencils. And that's our area. And we can be tempted to view the church that way and the gospel that way. Our need also points us to the hope that we have. We're going to sing later, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. But what Paul's saying is that, but also this, my hope is built on nothing more than Jesus' blood and righteousness. 
The importance of this freedom is not just in our true need and our recognition of this need. It also shows us the grace of God. You see, Paul says, but for the grace of God, if you didn't have freedom in Christ, the consequences are devastating. If you don't have freedom in Christ, you are in bondage. He says, I defended this. I didn't give in for a moment. I didn't compromise a little bit. Not for some intellectual abstraction. Not so that he could write a book and say, this is true and I believe it. He says that we did this, in verse 5, that the gospel might be preserved for you. This freedom is important because the grace of God is given to people. It's not an abstract idea. Everyone has the same need and everyone has the same solution, the grace of God. And so Paul defends this freedom. For Paul to teach otherwise would undermine Peter and James, and vice versa. And the consequences are bad. You know that in your own homes, don't you, parents? Mom tells the kids, no, we're not going to have a snack now. Dinner's in an hour and a half. And the kids do what? Dad, can I have a snack? Especially if Dad's busy. Dad, can I have a snack? They're trying to undermine. And what Dad needs to say if he's a good dad is the first words out of his mouth are, did you ask your mother? What did she say? Because her answer is my answer. Because we're together. And that's what Paul's saying here. The gospel is so important that we are all together with it. We can't compromise at all. That's the grace of God. And then finally, this freedom in Christ shows us the character of God. Who God is. Because the gospel is not just about what God does for us. The gospel is about who God is. And notice how Paul finishes this section here in verse 6. He says, And from those who seem to be influential, what they were makes no difference to me, God shows no partiality. He says, this gospel of freedom that comes by faith alone in Jesus Christ alone and nothing added comes from God. Because God doesn't look down and say, Joe, I'm really much more pleased with you than I am with Bill. Because your family devotions are 45 minutes instead of 30 minutes. Mary, I'm so much more glad to have you be my child than Sally over here. Because you grew up in a Christian home and you baptized your children. And Sally, well, she didn't come to faith till she was 20. No. You see, the character of God is not to show partiality. That's what the gospel is all about. We all come to the cross on a level playing field. Seeking Jesus by faith alone. Think about this as we conclude. And as you... Minister to each other. If there's no difference between us and God, why should there be a difference between us?
In other words, if we all stand on a level playing field vertically, Jesus brings each of us as close to God as the other. Because it's only through the cross, only through the work of Jesus Christ, then why do we have partiality with each other? God's a lot smarter than I am. And if God views all of you as equally His children, who am I to say, well, you're my favorite child. Well, okay, you could be my kid, but you're not as good as... No. That has to work itself out practically in our lives. Well, this is what Paul has for us. He says, you are free in Jesus Christ, and that means you are free from sin, free from doubt, free from bondage. But watch out. There are others who are going to seek to destroy that freedom, and you might even find it rising up in yourself. And you need to be ready and defend it, because this freedom is important. It shows us who God is and what grace He has for us and how much we need Him. That's the Gospel. Paul never tires of telling it, does he? May we be as quick to bring it to a watching world. Let us pray.